Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Our readings today both come from the book of Genesis, and our first reading is from chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Our second reading comes from chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, the story of Scripture begins with God's people gathered in God's place, voluntarily living under God's rule. And to these first humans, God gives one command in four parts. The first part is to be fruitful. To be fruitful is to be generative. It's to be creating more life. And so in this world that God made full of plants and animals and trees and people, God encodes into each of these the capacity to create more life, to multiply. And the hope of multiplication is a world that is teeming. And this is a word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 to describe the seas. The seas were teeming with life, and it was God's intention that the earth would be teeming with life. The second part of this command is that the people would increase in number. Genesis 1 shows us that God had a vision of muchness in thinking about creation. If life is good, more life is even better. The third part was to fill the earth, and this has to do with geography. Uh, God's saying, push the outer reaches of this world that I've made for you. Don't concentrate in one place, but expand, pursue, explore, journey, stretch, reach, and everywhere you go, subdue creation. God is saying, bring your mastery to bear on the world of my design. So grow wheat and then grind the wheat to become flour and take the flour and invent bread. 
and cultivate grapes and then harvest those and smash those and ferment those and create wine. Have dogs and train them to roll over. (laughs) Have children and teach them to be stewards of creation. In this ensuing muchness, the, the world teeming with life under the watchful care of intelligent agents who bear God's image was not just good, as God had said over every other aspect of creation, but this was very, very good. Adam and Eve had been gathered into the garden and were instructed by God to then scatter and fill the earth and subdue it. The first humans, as we all know, used their agency uh, not, to, not to serve under God's rulership over them, but to attempt autonomous rule, that they wanted to be in charge of themselves. The human family begins to operate not as emissaries of God, but as ambassadors of their own little kingdoms. And the prehistorical period of Scripture reaches its climax in Genesis chapter 11, when God's people defiantly gather together again for the express purpose of not being scattered according to God's wishes. As we read the Babel account, instead of muchness, we see a vision of scarcity. Instead of diversity, we see uniformity. Instead of filling, we see concentrating. And instead of stewarding creation under God's cooperative care, the people say, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And God committed, resolved to realizing his own intentions for creation, scatters the people and confuses their languages. Much of the story of Scripture is how God gathers and how God scatters in order to enact his creational vision of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, as God said through the prophet Habakkuk. God wants his people to fill God's place and rule over it as God rules over us. The first time one could argue that we see people actually cooperating with God's gathered to scatter philosophy of ministry is in the book of Acts, where the the, the disciples, 120 or so of them, have waited in Jerusalem because Jesus said, something is going to happen after I ascend. My Father is going to send you something, and there... Gathered together on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends and a redemptive Babel-like moment happens. When the people begin to speak in the languages of all the peoples of the earth, they're declaring the wonders of God. And in that Genesis moment, the gospel begins to scatter all throughout the known world, which is precisely what Jesus said would happen when the Spirit comes. You will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Beginning in this one gathered place where Jesus did his ministry and the Spirit fell, and moving outward in concentric circles, the gospel began to spread. The church in the city of Antioch in Syria is is one of the first communities to embrace this scattering missiology. They incubate and grow and encourage people and then send them out as prophets and pastors and missionaries. People like Saul and Barnabas come out of that church. In church history, this this sending mentality has happened through some of the great world evangelization movements. It's also happened by the providential hand of God in the middle of tragedy. 
You think about the, the sacking of Rome led to the evangelization of the Germanic peoples. God works through all kinds of situations to realize His own creational vision. Happens is when the people of God grow stale or when they turn inward, when they overfocus on those who have already been brought into the fold, the gathered, God intervenes and God scatters them again. Jesus says in John 15, his father's the gardener of this great garden. He prunes those things that are growing in on themselves. God still does it today. There's a pruning and a purging and a hard reset that may be happening in our country in our time right now. And God is bent on realizing his own intentions for creation. He wants a world that is teeming and full of diversity and life, stewarded by intelligent agents who bear his image and rule over the world as God rules over them. And this work of scattering will not come to its completion until the great gathering at the end of the ages when heaven and earth are joined together. Revelation 21 says the diverse splendor of the nations will be brought before the Lamb and before Him who sits on the throne. We gather, we scatter, we gather, we scatter until it is on earth as it is in heaven. Our church launched on January 21st, 2018. There's very little that was remarkable uh, or, or truly novel about the launch of our church. A handful of us who worshiped together at our mother church had been sent to start something new in a new part of town. And in some ways, simply by virtue of being new and being in a fresh energy cycle, we saw some early signs of new life. We discovered, as the church planning experts told us, that new things really do reach new people. We also learned that doing new things can help energize, re-energize your core people, the people who've been there, done that in the church world. By pushing them back out to the fringe, it can give them fresh energy and life. We also learned to take to heart the words of Jesus in John 15, 5, where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Realize that the impetus on us then is not figuring out how to grow. That's the pressure that every church planter and every new church plant feels is, how do we grow? The invitation of Jesus is not to put your effort into growing, but into abiding, into being attached to Jesus. And we discovered that by doing that, it really took the pressure off of all of us. We had no numerical goals. We had no social media strategy. We tried to pray. We tried to memorize scripture. We asked the Holy Spirit, tell us who should be a part of this church plant, and things began to develop from there. We did it from a non-anxious place of, of just trusting. And because of our awareness of the tendency of churches and people just over time to turn inward, we had the good sense, inspired by the Spirit, I think, to decide early on that we wanted to be a church that multiplies. We wanted to be a church that, that like, we didn't strive to become big. Uh, we wanted to start new stuff. We actually budgeted from the very, very beginning that a certain percentage of the offering that came in would go out. Like, we would save it for the day that we do church planting or church multiplication. We even said things like, we want to be strategically small, a phrase that a lot of you have brought up to me over the years. Uh, and that's a really easy thing to say, it turns out, when you're just literally small as a church. There was a time when all of the people who were Cornerstone could fit into a single pew. But by trying to be thoughtful and reflective and 
trying to build a community and not just a well-attended Sunday event and investing lots and lots and lots of prayer into the launch of our church, we actually did grow. And I should probably say, some of you have not been around forever, you maybe have not heard me say this, something like this before, but we and I have always had kind of a suspicious posture toward growth, maybe even a little bit of a fearful posture toward growth, knowing that having lots of people in attendance at a thing is not the same as having lots of people who are actively being formed as apprentices of Jesus. But as uncomfortable as I am saying the word grow, grow, growth, etc., that growth was something that we've had to deal with. It's something we've had to reckon with practically. If you've volunteered in kids, you understand this is a reality. Growth for us seemed to speed up at a time when the world was slowing down. In 2020, we, we worshipped outside after a couple of months of staring at screens, and those were, those were, that was a lonely period of time for all of us. And so, just so happy to be out of our houses and within 15, 20 feet of other people, we worshipped outside. We started streaming services for the first time, which is not something we philosophically believed in, something I'm not even enthusiastic about right now. What we do is kind of an accommodation to our times, but we wanted to encourage an in-person, incarnational community. If you can remember some of the feelings of, of 2020 during that pol polarized political season, many people started evaluating their relationship with church. And we as a congregation had just joined the Anglican Church of North America, uh, which was the topic of a Vision Sunday sermon in November of 2019. Uh, I've grown a lot since that time, but we did, we do have a picture of me from that day. It's me on that day. Man, the years go by fast. <laughs> What's interesting is the, the Lord seemed to draw people who wanted to be part of an historic tradition. And the Anglican thing then, and I think probably even now to a certain degree, was something that people didn't totally get. Many of your moms are wondering, like, what kind of church you're going to, what kind of church you're a part of. But it's something that nonetheless folks were intrigued by. And so we'd been worshiping at a building at 4803 South Lewis Avenue, and we, we moved here and were relieved to have a little bit of breathing space when we gathered here in January of 21. And you have to understand that for us, buildings are super helpful, but buildings have never been the goal. Like things get weird in church world when buildings become idols, when become buildings become the vision or the mission of the church. It may be like some churches would probably be really relieved to be done with their buildings. Things get weird in church world when they overfocus on buildings. We think about buildings as tools. That first building on Lewis, which will always have a special place in my heart, was a great tool. This building has been a great tool for us. Our first worship service in here was February 7th of 21. On February 14th, Valentine's Day, that polar vortex came through. And we opened up that day as an emergency warming shelter in partnership with the city of Tulsa. Some of you, the first thing you ever did with Cornerstone was you heard about the warming shelter and you volunteered. And with kind of a revolving door, we hosted 35 or 40 folks in town experiencing homelessness who needed to get inside from the dangerous, dangerous weather. We're able to use this building for stuff like that to serve the Tulsa community. We had more space for kids. Kids were, you know, popping up everywhere. Uh, we had more space for new folks to come and gather and worship in here. And as we had more space, more people came. 
And about a year ago, the leadership of our church, which is our, our board, our staff, you know, at large leaders in the church, put our heads together. And it seemed good to us, and the Holy Spirit, I would say, like it seemed good to us to explore the feasibility of purchasing this space that we've been renting since, since we moved in. We love this place. We love this location. It's just, it's got a good feel. We thought, what if we bought it? Could we make some renovations that help us use the building even more effectively? And so we engage with a local architectural and design firm. We're, we're coming up with plans. We're doing some negotiations. We're in a discerning period. And then something happens all of a sudden that kind of halts us in our tracks. And what happened was like 150 to 200 people started coming, new people, out of nowhere. And, you know, the growth of our church is not, to this point, has been like this. It's not like this. It's like this. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, where did they come from? We, on the staff, um, you know, having to figure out how to deal with some of the sudden growth, um, they put together a working group called Operation Hockey Stick, because the growth was like this. It's like a hockey stick. And all of a sudden, it seems like this building that has been so great, I'm not sure is tenable for the future. It felt to me that despite our intentions for smallness, it felt like bigness was being forced on us. So what do you do when you're growing and you're not super sure that you want to be growing? Do you tell people like, leave? <laughs> we just lock the doors at a certain time. What do you do when you're trying to be a church that's simple and strategically small, and by virtue of being simple and strategically small, you grow, and so you're less simple and less small? Do you pull a move from Jesus' playbook in John chapter 6, where the crowd's really gathering, and he's like, you know what, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me, and then a bunch of people leave. Do I just say offensive stuff until we're right size? What do you do when you're fighting to be a community church of a size where you can know others and be known by others? Tim Keller referred to a church of this size as a church that is human scale. He said, I'd rather have three churches of 800 than one church of 2,400. And I like that thinking. What do you do when so many people are coming that it feels increasingly difficult to realize that vision? Well, I think if I'm honest, growth muddied the waters for me about the practicality of maintaining some of these values that we tried to instill in our church from the very beginning. I didn't know, and our leadership didn't have like, our, like clear thinking about what do we do about the fact that the Lord continues to send people to us. But from where we were sitting at the time, it sure seemed like what we needed was a big building. And so we started to explore all of our options. I started writing a year-long journey of writing what I call the Hope Roller Coaster. And the Hope Roller Coaster looks like finding out about an opportunity and getting excited about it and scouring the internet to find every picture that's ever been taken in the building and texting my friends and like, guys, I think this is it, this is it. Oh, no, it didn't work out. And then another opportunity comes, and I get really excited, and I'm fasting and praying, and I think this is the Lord, and, you know, everyone will pack your bag. Oh, it didn't work out either. And that happened again and again and again in the last year. We pitched wild ideas at times to people who were not asking for wild ideas or soliciting them, and we were met with closed door after closed door after closed door after closed door. In the middle of this, Bishop Todd Hunter, our bishop, comes and is with us, and I trust Bishop Todd. He walks in the Spirit, 
And I asked Bishop Todd, if while you're here, you've sensed anything from the Holy Spirit that's for us, please tell us. I'm desperate for a word, a breakthrough of some kind. And, and Bishop Todd said, do not forget the importance of waiting on the Lord. And I was like, you got anything else you could say? Because <laughs> we've already been doing that. At least we had been waiting. I don't know that we had really been waiting on the Lord. I was trying to make something happen. And this seemed like the operative word, word to wait, to keep waiting on the Lord. Well, months pass, nearly bringing us up to the present, and our viable options are disappearing. They seem like they're just slim to none. And there's this moment for me of acute discouragement where there are a couple of things that, that I and our leadership and my family had been earnestly asking the Lord for, and I felt taunted by the lack of answer. I just felt messed with, and I was mad. I was sad, too. And so I reached out to you, church, and just said, will you all please pray? We need a breakthrough. I had a more in detailed conversation with our staff, with our board, with other leaders, and we just know we need God to intervene and do something. So we set aside um, a, a three-day period for prayer and fasting. During those three days, I made one last Hail Mary pitch to someone who was not asking for a pitch. We're just desperate. And then on Wednesday, we gathered for our weekly board prayer call. We pray every Wednesday at 12.05. And after that phone call, I sensed some things stirring within me. I felt like we're from the Holy Spirit. And the stirring was manifested with a series of questions that felt like, these are the right questions. These are the questions that we should be asking. And the first was, what if it has been the Lord in His mercy who has thus far thwarted our best efforts to find some bigger and better building? See, about everything that we were looking at was going to feel like we were settling for being a big church. And not only were many of the buildings and opportunities we look at big, they were also expensive, making some people in our leadership sweat it out. Now, there may come a time where the Lord really calls us towards something that's going to stretch us, a reaching goal, but this felt a little bit like flirting with ir like irresponsible uh, levels of, of risk. And since the Lord asking, let's say something worked out, do you really want what you would get? It's like, do you really, Cornerstone, want me to answer this prayer and give you the big building? Or did I inspire you to launch with somewhat atypical values only to ultimately leave them behind? And as these questions landed, they unlocked something. All of a sudden, there's this, there's this surge of clarity and conviction, and I trust it was from the Lord, because 24 hours earlier, I'm going full steam ahead this way. It's like the Lord said, nope, this way. Stick with the original course. And the clarity that came was that all that stuff we said from the beginning about wanting to be human scale, 
about being a multiplying church, about resisting the temptation to think that bigger equals better, all of those things that we articulated in our deep hopes, all of that stuff was still good and still true and still worth fighting for. And our church leadership got together to pray, to discuss the clarity that had come, and without any drama or contention or finagling, it was clear that we were of one mind and one heart, and we were still committed to being the church that God had called us to be from the very beginning. And so I want to tell you this morning, with God's help, Cornerstone will be a multiplying church. We will be a church-planting church. Rather than concentrating in one physical space and therefore needing a big one, we will steward our resources to multiply outposts of the kingdom of God, to develop and to launch new pastors and new human-scale congregations as the Holy Spirit leads even to be a part of relaunching existing churches. If, as Andy Crouch said, the only way to change culture is to create more of it, we want to be a church that creates and recreates. Like the church in Antioch, we want to join God in the sometimes messy work of gathering and scattering, of developing and sending, of praying and planning to do our part to work toward God's vision of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. With God's help, we will cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. And having as leadership reaffirmed our deep hopes and our founding values, we then knew what we needed to do next. And as we acted on that knowledge and that unity and that clarity and began to test our thinking with leaders in the church, we found that the door, like, he, like God did at the very beginning, that God began to just fling the doors open before us. And this morning, I get to share with you two practical steps that we're going to take as a congregation to begin living into God's future for us. Would you like to hear them? Yes. Okay. Okay. First, we are buying this building, and we're going to renovate it to better serve our mission. We get to stay here. Now, right now, we have... One toilet for every 200 people in worship. <laughs> the toilets that we do have are in the children's wing. It's a problem. Our people need to go to the restroom. Right now, it will be tricky as we approach the fall and the winter to think about opening up our building again as an emergency warming shelter because we are double, triple, quadruple using every space in this building. That's a problem. Right now, we have a growing student ministry and no clear place to host them. Right now, we're having to regularly turn away children from classrooms because they're just too full of kids. Right now, we have no clear green space on our property for our kids before and after services to get their wiggles out. They're improvising, and you know what they're doing? They're jumping in the bushes over there. When we moved into this building and I saw those lovely azaleas in bloom, my first thought was, our children will love to run through them every week. They're killing the bushes, they're killing the trees, they got to get their wiggles out. There are some changes we'd like to make to this worship space. Some of y'all will remember, those of you who were there at the old building, how sweet it was to receive communion 
And then with your friend or a family member to kneel at the prayer rail and how sweet it was even passing behind to see husbands and wives or friends just praying together there. We'd love to make some changes like that just to enhance the sacred use of this space. We want this whole space, this tool, to be better poised not only to serve our church community, but also the Tulsa community at large. At the same time, we want to renovate with constraints, not attempting to get too big or too fancy all at once and all in one place. I actually love, you know, our first building, we had 10 rows of pews and pink carpet and very inconvenient bathrooms. And our joke about the first building was that it almost worked. (laughs) And there's something about things just almost working, but having to adjust a little that's actually for our good. We don't want to get too fancy or too big for our britches. And I'm so grateful that there's a family in town that owns this building, They originally purchased it to be a a funeral home, and it was a funeral home. We've got an embalming room downstairs. I don't know if you know that. It turned into another kid's classroom. We're being creative. (laughs) But this family has been so, so fair and generous toward us. Um, the, The rent that we've been paying the last number of years to worship here is criminally low, and when it came to negotiating, they were so gracious, so flexible, so eager for a deal that worked for both parties that, um, I I don't know, I I don't want to call them out or embarrass them, but uh, I just want to honor and thank and appreciate. I invite you to do the same with me, just to say thank you to this family. So we are buying this building, we are renovating it to better serve our mission, but there is another big step that we are going to take as a church. So I don't know if you know this, but there's a renaissance happening in another part of Tulsa right now. If you can picture 11th Street, Historic Route 66, this is right in front of Hillcrest Hospital, you go down the road west, 11th and Peoria is the Meadow Gold sign, a lot of Route 66 fanatics love this, or if you go down to Lewis, there's... Uh, Mother Road Market there, go a little bit north, the area from 6th Street to 11th Street from Peoria to Utica is known as the Pearl District. Funny enough, it was in Cirque Coffee on 6th, near 6th and Peoria in December of 2016, my timing belt was getting changed at Laser Imports on 11th Street, I mean right where we're talking about, where I felt like the Holy Spirit said it's time to get moving on church planting. Funny enough, Tucker, who is now on our staff, we had coffee there that day. This area all along Historic Route 66, the Pearl District, is seeing new businesses, new restaurants, new housing popping up in the neighborhood. And while all of that may sound a little hipster or bougie or up and coming, what's interesting is that this is a really socioeconomically and ethnically diverse community. It's an area of opportunity and it's an area of need. And right now, it's a place where people are dreaming about the future. My friend Amy, who's on our boards, Tulsa's former deputy mayor, said that this area will be the place where all of our kids will want to live when they're venturing out on their own as young adults in 10 years. And one block north of 11th Street, just down from Buck Adams Cosmic Curios and Josie Records, is the site of 10th and Rockford Church of Christ. And that congregation, after worshiping in that location for a hundred years, put up a for sale sign. And I can tell you today that Cornerstone has signed a contract 
to acquire that facility, and sometime in the next 12 to 16 months or so, we will launch a new worshiping congregation there. Thanks be to God. How do you launch a church? I'm not super sure. I've only done it one time. <laughs> a lot of questions remain. What will be the name of this new congregation? Is it Cornerstone Pearl District? Will it have a unique name? I don't know the answer to that. We're working on that. When is it going to launch? Our current thinking is in the next 12 to 16 months or so. That's subject to all kinds of variables. How will these congregations relate? Will it be a multi-campus? Will it be a satellite, a daughter church, a sister church? Church world loves coming up with new terms. We're studying that. One thing we do know is that we will not do a video venue model of ministry. That there will be incarnational, contextualized leadership, a real live preacher and pastor there in the Pearl District. Now the next question you're going to ask me is, who is that person going to be? We're working on that too. Now, I can imagine that for many of you, your mind immediately goes to Max Diner. Max is our associate pastor. Believe it or not, Max, Max and Hannah and their children only got here in January. It feels like they've been here much longer than that because they've integrated into our community so effectively. And I will just tell you how relieved and grateful and encouraged I am to have Max as a teammate. Um, I don't lose sleep over how the sermon's going to go when Max is preaching. Max is bright, he's godly, he's principled, he's really weird in some of the great ways that I think I'm probably really weird. He's so well-suited and called to this kind of work. So we're talking about this, Max is absolutely excited about these possibilities. At the same time, we all want to go through a comprehensive discernment process. They're like, because we know this, this is consequential work, we want to be thoughtful. We want to be reflective. We want to ask all the right questions, turn over all the stones. Because we want to do it well, we're going to do it slow. And when I know something, you're going to know something. So today, October 1st, you're hearing about it for the first time. I'm going to come back to you in a month with more details. This is like the birth announcement. As a church, we're having a baby. In November, I'm going to come back with ultrasound photos, okay? We're going to talk about, you know, for, for Harvard, this building, what kind of renovations can we do? Do we want to do? What's it going to take to pull that off? For the new congregation at 10th and Rockford, how will these congregations relate? What does leadership look like? What do renovations, if any, uh, look like? What do next steps look like? Time look like? Are we ever going to have a chance to worship there, to pray there? All of these things. And then in December, armed with good information and having asked all the good questions and thought about it, then we're going to have an opportunity to consider how is the Lord inviting us as a church and each of us as individuals to respond that the good, to the good work the Lord is doing. And that does bring us to a question and thinking about your response and mine, to a question that may be on many of your minds as you're thinking about new opportunities of big scale like this, and that has to do with the topic of Money, that's the one. What is this going to cost? Well, here's what just blesses my socks off. All year long, we have been trying to kick down doors to find some new building opportunity for us. And all of those doors seem to have been gold-plated. Everything has been expensive. If you've tried to buy a home in the last year, you know everything is expensive. 
which is what makes it all the more amazing that we're getting these two buildings combined for half the price of any other single building we've looked at in the last year. And because of these providential price points, and because you, our people, have given generously in the last six years, and because we've consistently lived beneath our means, we can acquire both of these buildings and put a hefty down payment on each of them from our savings in a way that does not negatively disrupt our cash flow, that won't hinder our renewal giving. Like 15% of everything that's given goes out for some kind of renewal or missional purpose. That won't be disrupted. And it's just not going to break our backs to get it done. We can dream and we can expand and we can be wise simultaneously. Now, lest you think we're all off the hook, at the same time, we are absolutely going to have to raise money. And it's going to take all of us doing this together, not only for renovations, but also as we begin just laying the groundwork as we're planning and building for the future. To plant more churches, you need more church planters. If you're going to have effective church planters, they need to be theologically trained. They need to be immersed in the practice of ministry so they know what they're getting themselves into. I would love to see us create a seminary scholarship fund for church planters and a church residency program. We have a lot of med students in our church, a lot of them doing residency. They're, they're getting the, the practice of medicine in, in real time in a safe environment. We want to provide the same thing for future church planters. I would love to see us as we're being careful about constrained building opportunities to create a long-term building maintenance fund so we don't have to come back and ask for money when a chiller goes out or a boiler goes out or we have HVAC issues. Now, some of you are like, you just had me at more toilets and that's good enough for you. (laughs) But others of you may be able to see that there's a big picture vision here that the Lord's inviting us into and you want to be a part of seeding a movement. I do want to let you know, I have thought about the topic of fundraising and building stuff since before the church launched. I've had some of my own convictions about what feels right and what can sometimes feel icky when churches talk about money. I do want to let you know that when it comes to us talking about fundraising, that we're going to do it in the cornerstone way. I have never been heavy-handed in talking about giving. There are many weeks where we forget to announce an offering at all. We don't pass the plate, generally speaking. We haven't since the first building. And for this project, I am not following, you know, best practices in bringing in professional fundraisers. We are not going to have fancy, you know, meals and events to try to pull this off. I'm not going to come to any of you and ask you pointedly to give, though if you want to talk to me, I'll have a meal with you. I'm presenting the opportunity that we feel, our leadership feels like the Lord is inviting us into, and then I want you to go have a conversation with the Lord about how do you want me to respond to all of this. And I hope that you will respond. I think about the story of Nehemiah, and in Nehemiah 3, 4, 5, they tell the story of each person in the little part of the wall that they built. Each of us have a part to play in this great endeavor. One part I hope that that many of us play is to pray. At the first service today, there was a power surge at 41st and Harvard, and all the power went out in the middle of service. Um, We had every tech issue you can imagine this morning, and we honestly rarely have tech issues. 
And I just started smiling, grinning like an idiot when the power went off in the middle of music because I was like, now I know this is going to be an awesome Sunday. And Ben Kilgore was thinking the same thing. Anytime you do something for the kingdom of God, not to build your brand, but to build the kingdom, you should expect opposition. We're going to have opposition on this. Somebody's going to be ticked off about what we're doing. There's going to be some foothold that the enemy is given to divide us. Um, We want to stand in defiance against that and have an offensive strategy for the kingdom of God. So we we want the Lord's help, the Lord's favors. God's been so generous and merciful to us these last six years. So I'd invite you to pray. Pray over the neighborhood around the Pearl District and around 10th and Rockford. Uh, Pray for the Holy Spirit to, to identify the right people to go and to lead this new endeavor. Pray for a work of the Holy Spirit to revitalize all the churches of Christ, all of those who love Jesus in the city of Tulsa. I hope that you'll pray. I also hope that you will give. Well, our church is just truly generous. Every year operating with a surplus because we're diligent and because you're generous, there's also large groups of people in our church who've been a part of our church for numerous years, who as far as we can tell have never given a dollar or never made a habit of giving. And to those people, I would say if Cornerstone is your home church, I would urge you both to honor the Lord with your resources and give to the church, to make a plan to habitually give to the church, and just to join in the common work of what God is doing among us. All of us are going to have to play a part as we think about these bigger plans of of seeding and building for the future. And so as I share more information in the coming months, I hope that you'll be diligent about going to the Lord and saying, Lord, Here's what's going on. How do you want me to participate? And then in December, I'm actually going to invite us to make a commitment for how we'll give. And we will not be waving our envelopes and dropping them on the stage in front of everybody. Like, that is not our style. But we will have a way that we practically respond and and covenant with God and with our community that we're going to be a part of financially upholding this. A third way that some of you will respond is that you'll go and you'll be a part of the launch of the congregation that gathers at 10th and Rockford. And some of you, like you, you heard, that you just, you know the community, maybe you live nearby and you're like, well, great, I can drive a little less and I can be a part of this, great. Some of you, you know, look around the room and you're like, if I could be in a more socioeconomically and ethnically diverse community, I think that would be really, really cool. And you may want to go and be a part of it. Some of you may be like, we're just starters. I just want to help start and encourage new things. Maybe you're even a part of forming this church and you want to be a part of forming that new congregation. While, I, while there will be tears, you will go with love and blessing. And I hope that we seed the launch of that new congregation with a strong coalition of people who love Jesus and who want to see the kingdom come in the Pearl District. And that also invites just a, a, an opportunity for a response to each of us. That every one of us have been given gifts and skills and resources. And we have a tendency, a self-protecting tendency to hoard and keep those things to ourselves. And the Lord, in, as a part of this bigger story, would challenge you to scatter the things that you've been given for the sake of others. That God's name may be more fully honored. And you might consider in this process, what has God entrusted to me that I'm hoarding that he wants me to scatter. And all of this we do 
and following the footsteps of the Lord Jesus who in his incarnation did not stay in one fixed spot and call all the people to gather to him, but instead he had a scattered ministry going here and there to the people at the very edges and the fringes, announcing to them the good news of the kingdom of God that was present in his ministry. And he didn't insist on this good news being heard just from his lips. But he appointed women and men and he called them to be his apprentices. And these same he sent to be ambassadors of this kingdom as if God was making his appeal through them. And it's in continuity with that work that we do our work until God's vision at creation is realized, until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Father, we commit the work of our hands to you. Thank you for the sweet and the kind things you have done in the forming of this church in the last six years. Thank you for the friendships that have been formed here. Thank you for the children that have learned to love you here. Thank you for the works of mercy and justice that have been in, done through this community. And Lord Jesus, as you've been faithful to us in the past, we trust that you are faithful now and you will be faithful forever. Thank you, Lord, for proving yourself trustworthy as we've waited on you. I pray that you will now bind us to one another in love, give us a unity of mind and heart, You'd help us to be open-handed and generous and not anxious or fearful, but courageous and trusting and abandoning outcomes to you. And for this, Lord, and all the work you've called us to, we need your, your energizing life from the Spirit. As we come to the table today, we acknowledge our need of you, our helplessness apart from you, and we pray that you pour out your Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Fill us with your spirit and your power that we may scatter and shine the light of Jesus brightly everywhere we go. In his name we pray. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.